So today we're going to talk about, the name of my lesson is called Good Enough. And it's actually being used in a positive sense. I think I taught a message a long time ago about good enough where it's in a bad way. Like, you know, okay, so that's good enough or that's good enough where it's not excellence. But this lesson is about good enough in a good way. Okay? So um, I want us to make sure of that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time together. I thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity and the access to come before your throne and to get revelation from you, Father. We thank you for Jesus, which is the word to our life. Jesus, he became flesh and dwelt among us. And so, Father, you sent your word among us thousands of years ago, and it's still here with us. And we thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit that's been given to us as a gift so that we're not left orphaned, but that we have a family. We're part of your family. And so, Father, I just speak right now to everyone hearing this, that they don't feel as if they're alone on the earth, but that they have family in the body of Christ. And they have a father in you. And they have a brother in Jesus. And I thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit that bears witness to all of this in our, in our everyday life, in our personal life, Father. Today, I ask you for revelation that we've never seen before. Show us things we've never seen. And let us hear things we've never heard from your word or your throne room today, Father. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being in our midst. I speak that no other voice gets to interfere with the voice of the Holy Spirit, but we will be tuned into the Holy Spirit and will hear only what he has to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so, um, so let me prep this by saying something, and then we'll go into the scripture we're going to go to is 2 Corinthians 9, 8 just so that uh, if you want to find it. But let's talk for a minute about um, the plan of Satan for your life, because he has a plan. And his plan is really to take everything you have, because he wants to cause a famine in your life, okay? So Satan's plan, and you have to be aware. You remember uh, the Bible says don't be ignorant of the devices of the enemy, of, of his plan. So you need to know his plan. So his plan is to cause a famine in your life. Now let's talk about a famine for a minute. In a famine... The base mode of operation in a famine is survival, right? There's no luxury. It's all about survival. Would you agree? So it's all about just the basic necessity. It basically comes down to struggling for food and water when you think about a famine, all right? Food and water. But the problem is, that's what's missing. Because in a famine, a famine carries with it a drought, right? As a matter of fact, isn't that how it starts? If you see in the Bible all the famines that the Bible talks about, it always was preceded by a drought. Because when there's no water, the ground can't produce. 
right? Because the plants can't, you know, the ground is dry, all this stuff. Now a drought takes a little bit of time before the, the effects actually kick in. Because remember, the ground does hold some moisture. And so that will kind of happen and keep things going for a while. But eventually, if there is an ongoing drought, then you have the danger of a famine, especially if you are closed off. So let's talk about that for a minute. If you become isolated, right, then you have no way of anybody around you that doesn't have a drought, that has bountiful supply, of getting to you. For example, there was a drought in California, right? But they don't have a famine. Why? Because they, they can import stuff from other states, right? So the effects of a drought for them are kind of minimal. You know, they're not allowed to wash their cars and they're not allowed to do luxurious things. But when it comes to the basic necessities of life, food and shelter, it didn't affect them because they had access to other places that didn't have a drought. I know that a couple years ago, Georgia had a major drought. Same thing with them. You didn't hear any famine happening in their land. They lost, um, they lost income because um, they couldn't grow the crops that they sell, they would export whatever, they lost income, but they didn't lose food and shelter and all that stuff because they could bring it in. All right, so are you seeing a pattern here? So Satan's plan to cause famine in your life will show up how? Let's just follow a little pattern. So what he'll do is he'll cause you to start thinking as a survivor. When the enemy starts getting you to think as a survivor, that's the beginning of your famine. Because all you're going to do when you're in survival mode is thinking about escape and keeping your head above water. Isn't that what you do when it's survival? Right? When, what does John 10, 10 tell us? J Jesus came to give us what? So to be a survivor mode of living is to directly oppose what John 10, 10 has made provision for you. Okay? So I'm going to put here, it opposes John 10, 10. All right? The next thing to work this plan correctly is to send a drought your way. Now, what kind of drought would this be? A spiritual drought. Who represents the water? The Holy Spirit. Right? So, a spiritual drought. Now, how? let's think about a drought for a minute. When there is a drought, that means all the reservoirs on the ground, the reservoirs, the rivers, the lakes, all those things start to dry up. 
but it also means the clouds above aren't letting out their rain, right? So you have two things happening in a drought. You have a shut heaven and a dried up earth. So what it looks like spiritually is no open heaven over your life. Okay? And then what you have is being dried up. It becomes stale. Now, that whole thing directly opposes the scripture in Deuteronomy that talks about days of heaven on earth. There's no drought in heaven. You understand? It directly opposes the example the Bible gives us of Jacob when he laid to rest on his way somewhere. Uh, he had a dream and he saw angels ascending and descending with a ladder. And he didn't leave until he got something, right? So it directly opposes, it directly opposes Psalm 23. Just that alone is enough for, your, you know, for you to say, no, no, that's not of God that I should have this drought. Okay? So we have survivor, we have drought. Now, a drought wouldn't stick. It wouldn't be effective if you have access to stuff or to places or to resources even though you can't produce it yourself. A drought wouldn't have its effect, right? California, Georgia. Nobody's dying, nobody starved to death because they have states around them that didn't have a drought. Okay, so in order for the drought from Satan to affect you, what does he do? He has to close you off and isolate you from the what? From people. Okay? So his plan is to close and isolate you from people who could start watering your ground. Right? And how would he do that? Because you wouldn't, if you're panting for water <gasps> and you're dry, there's nothing. And you see this big, huge lake there. And the person that owns it is saying, anytime you want, it's available to you. What would make you not want that as you're dying of thirst? You think it's bad? But I'll tell you what, even the most proud person or the, most, the person who would never accept help, right? If they are dying, I'm talking they're at the point of death, and they're right there and there's water, they would drink it because instinctively they would just do it. Because we're built with survival. We're built, it's not natural for somebody to want to kill themselves. It just isn't. Like try holding your breath to not breathe to die. It's just, you're gonna breathe. You know what I'm saying? So, but in order for you to not drink it, you would have to think it would kill you that it's poisonous. You understand what I'm saying? You'd have to think that if you, uh, if you even touch that or let it get to your skin, 
it will kill you immediately. So you would have to think it's worse for you to take that than the state you're in. And that just doesn't happen overnight. That is a specific process, calculated deception, like slow control that would make you think that to get help is worse than where you are. Okay? So the way to even turn you away from the lake, because if you keep standing by the lake and you get desperate enough, even if you think it's poison, you might just break down and drink and say, well, if I die, I die. At least I, I'll die with a wet tongue. You know what I'm saying? But the, but the enemy doesn't just want you to hang out by the water. He needs you to move away and come back in his zone of control. So the one tool that he will always use, and you never forget this for the rest of your life, so when it starts operating in your life, you cut it off, and you pull the power plug, and you kill it immediately. The one tool he will always use to dry you up is offense. Because offense becomes the poison to what God has around you to help you. Offense. That's the poison right there. To be offended. Because that you think it's it'll kill you. You think. So if you and then offense will start building up on forgiveness. Unforgiveness, you want to carry the chain, right? Offense goes to unforgiveness. Unforgiveness, you know, goes into bitterness. And the eventual eventuality of this is hatred, right? And let's just look at this for a minute, ladies. When you hate in your heart, what does the Bible call you? A murderer. Who is the murderer? Satan. So do you see a transformation? Satan's plan is to cause a famine in your life so he could feed you his food. And that causes, that turns you into a murderer. So we don't want to go there. So here's why I'm telling you all this. Don't ever believe that God has put you in a dry spell to teach you something. Or he's working on you where you have to be alone. You can't consult with anybody. Because let, and people use it as a wilderness experience. But let me explain God's wilderness experience. Because you remember the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness too, right? So let's look at the wilderness experience in God's thing. I didn't even touch the lesson yet. But this is introduction. We might not even touch it. God's experience, God's wilderness experience so we know that Jesus was led in the wilderness by the Holy Spirit that's what the Bible says and he was there for 40 days think about it, the children of Israel were there for how long? 40 years, by their choice not God's and during the time in the wilderness Jesus fasted it didn't say that he had nothing to eat or drink it said that he fasted. Okay, there is a difference. Now when he was finished fasting, 
the enemy wanted to get his hands on him as soon as he can. So the enemy came in and suggested to him how he could get food. By suggesting to him that he could use his powers to turn stone, the rocks, into bread. Right? And the Bible did describe that Jesus was hungry. So Jesus had a need for physical food. Jesus did not follow the instructions of Satan. You never follow a suggestion of Satan. You never follow a suggestion of a negative thought in your mind because that's coming from the enemy. Even if it's something that is needed or necessary, you just don't follow the instruction from the enemy of how to get it. Because that means you are operating from the word of the enemy. And we're supposed to be operating from the word of God. So what does Jesus do right away? He activates the word of God and he says, it is written. Jesus didn't even address the scripture because the enemy was giving him scripture, right? The enemy tempted him with scripture. It wasn't like he came up and started with his own words. The enemy will always tempt a Christian with scripture. You have to know if it's Satan talking or if it's God talking. You just can't know it's of scripture and that makes it good enough. No, you have to know who is saying it to you. Because the demons know the word and they tremble. They just don't believe and act on it. Well, they believe, but they don't act on it. Do you understand? They don't adapt it and put it into action. That means they have no faith with it. All right? So in that wilderness experience, when everything was over, Jesus had temptation everything, the Bible says an angel came to him and ministered to him after it was over. We missed that a lot. So I am sure God sent an angel with food, water, whatever Jesus needed. Because then the following account says that Jesus left there full of the Holy Ghost. So let's examine Jesus' wilderness experience. He went in led by the Holy Spirit and he came out full of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so Jesus went in led by the Holy Spirit and left full of the Holy Spirit. That means he, has no, he had nothing of Satan in him. Why? Because he didn't follow any of his instructions. Zip. None of his instructions were even heeded by the end. He did not have a conversation with Satan about it either. He quoted, he introduced the word of God to the situation right away. He didn't go into a long dissertation of why Satan was using it wrong. You don't have conversations with the devil. He's a liar and a thief. There's nothing you will ever do to convince him otherwise. He always wants to lie and steal. So if you're trying to have a conversation to convince him that the word of God is true and you're lying, 
It's pointless. He knows he's lying. He wants to lie. That's all he can do. Okay? He the enemy cannot show up in your life and have access to you and leave without taking something from you. That's what he's there for. Okay? Because he's a thief. All right. Let's look at the other uh, wilderness experience that's in the Bible. The children of Israel. Right? So the children of Israel, they had food. They had food in the wilderness, right? Did they lack food? It was like clockwork, too. They didn't even know where the stuff, how it was made. Do you realize the food that, G, that the children of Israel were fed in the wilderness could not be made by them? Did you ever see, did anybody make manna yet on this earth? Has anybody ever made manna on the planet? You would have thought, you know, with the, with the mind that God's given humans, you know, to be able to manufacture things and stuff, that somebody in the whole camp of three million plus would have at least analyzed the food to see how it could be recreated. Nobody's ever tried to make manna, ever. Better put that there so it doesn't vibrate every time. But, okay, so the children of Israel's wilderness experience, they got fed. Did they get water? Yes, they did. They got water out of a rock. Did they have access to the outside world? Well, they did, but they were protected while they were there. Nobody could really come in and harm them, but if they needed to go out, they could because we know they did because they went and spied out the land, right? But how is it that none of the people from that land, who were big giants, by the way, whew, they're giants, were grasshoppers. None of them ever came to attack them, these big giants. This was all while they were in the wilderness. They didn't have to fight a lick. They never had to fight while they were in the wilderness. But people are convinced that when they're having a dry wilderness experience, you know, spiritual experience, it's such a struggle. Oh, and I'm battling for my life. They were having a good old time. They were having it so well, they started complaining is what they did. That's what kept them there so long. Then they started worshiping somebody else, something else that they decided that's what brought us out of this. This is what gave us all this. Manna. When can a cow make manna? They were even complaining about not having meat, right? Did they get meat? Yep. So they got more food. Their food was not that of a survivor. Their food was out of this world. It was straight out of the sky, really. Manna fell from heaven, and the quails came flying in from the sky. Water came out of a rock. You know, representing Jesus is what? Our rock. All the symbolisms of the, of the wilderness experience of the children of Israel has nothing to do with Satan. He couldn't do any of these. As a matter of fact, he tried to go the way God was sending them, and they drowned through the Red Sea. Remember? When God takes care of you, 
the enemy can't mimic it. If he tries to do the same thing, he will die. So you don't have to be concerned about the enemy following after you when God is giving you a way of escape because God knows how to close it, it behind you. Remember with the um, ark? When God shut the door, they could, oh, Noah couldn't open it. I mean, I'm sure that as a person, you know, he lived with these people. And you got somebody pounding on the door that was your neighbor. You'd want to open it and you'd say, well, if God loves everybody, God wouldn't do that. You know, today's culture, it's the love of God. We have to show love. We got to let everybody in. God shut the door. Noah couldn't open it. Right? All right. So we got the introduction to the study. What was the topic again? Good enough. <laughs> All right. So let me show you. I do have a way we're going. Um, so the enemy, let me just sum up so that get all caught up. Let me sum up. The enemy's plan is to bring famine to your life, period. The famine leads to destruction, right? Because you know how many people are starving to death? Like the, the countries that really have famine, they, they literally starve to death. So famine is entitled to kill you. What is Satan here for? Steal, kill, destroy. That's his, that's his mission, so to speak, of his life that he is determined. Nobody gets God. If I can't be God, nobody can serve God. That's pretty much it. Sounds like a lot of people today, doesn't it? Okay. So this, the lesson today is good enough. Now, here's the premise of what I want you to know. The other thing that the enemy will start doing in your life is to make you despise what's in your hand. Okay? He wants you to despise what's in your hand. So he wants you to call it poison, so to speak. Remember we talked about the lake and you would not drink there even though you're dying of thirst because you might think it's poison. So he wants you to think what is in your hand is poison. Let's think of it that way. It would actually hurt people instead of help people. Okay? Are any of these sounding familiar? And it would be rejected. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Who would want that? Right? The enemy wants to convince you that unless he tweaks what you have, it is not good enough for you to share with other people. He wants to get his hand on what you have. He wants to make the alterations. So when you use it, he has something in you. And he can come back anytime he wants and take it. When Jesus was being crucified, he said, when, he, when the whole process started, right? He said, here, the son of perdition is coming, but he has nothing in me. 
because I have overcome the world. Remember Jesus said that? So we know from the wilderness, Satan started, right? Remember, he wanted to influence Jesus' life by letting Jesus follow an instruction to make bread out of rocks, which was a need Jesus had, but Jesus did not fill a need from an instruction of Satan. Jesus had the ability to turn rocks into bread, did he not? He sure could have, but he didn't. Satan will come to try to get you to prove yourself. There is nothing that you need to prove to Satan because there is no reason to try to impress him. Okay? But let's talk about this for a minute. You would not stand and have a conversation with a demon, would you? If a demon showed up, if Satan himself showed up, you wouldn't. But who would you have conversations with? People! Right? Well, how do you think Satan's going to show up to you? Through people? I've had people years ago who have accused me of things and told me I was this and whatever, whatever. And their indication was, if I would just do these things, I would be better. Like, you know, you'd be so much better. And I would look at them and think, no. Because I'm taking an instruction. If something in me would be, no, I don't need to listen to their correction. There's something wrong. But then years later, God would send the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit would tell me something. And I would know it, it's from the Holy Spirit, and I need to make that adjustment, and I would make it. And sometimes when I think about it, it was the same thing the other person was saying, but there was something off about them, how they were saying it. Do you know what I'm saying? But then the Holy Spirit might send a person years later, or he himself will, will reveal to me something I need to change. And then you think about it, and, and here's, what, here's a tool of the enemy. One of the things, everybody's got this. Listen, God is love, right? And everything about God is love. God is love. God is love. So if we want to know how to operate in love, who do we look to? God. That's how we have to know how love works. But the enemy comes in and tries to give his input on love. And if he could influence how you love, he's got something in you. So he uses love as a weapon against you. So the enemy, you have to know this, uses love as a weapon against you. While God gave you love as a tool and a gift. It's a tool for you to use and a gift for you to receive. Jesus came because God so loved, right? Isn't he a gift for us to receive, right? See, if you don't understand how love is supposed to operate, you will feel condemned when you reject certain people or certain things. Here, that's a good clue. If you feel reject, if you feel condemnation, it's coming straight from Satan's mouth. 
If you feel condemnation, you have to know this. When Satan operates, it carries with it an atmosphere. So you must know this. When the Holy Spirit operates, doesn't it have an atmosphere? Does, isn't the atmosphere changed? You could tell when the Holy Spirit just like is pleased about an atmosphere, like things happen that wasn't there before. You know, it might be a nice, calm environment, but when the Holy Spirit is stirred up, boy, the atmosphere changes. When the enemy is operating, the atmosphere has a certain feel. And you must know this. As soon as condemnation is felt, stop listening, stop having a conversation, and resist. You have to. You don't stop and try to reason with the person it's operating through to say, well, you're wrong. God's word tells me I should have no cut. Just don't have another conversation with them. You're, it's over. It's totally over. I'm not having, I'm done speaking with you. Thank you very much. Goodbye. You have to. Okay, if you don't understand love, you're going to have a problem doing this. And if you see somebody do it, you're going to feel like they're harsh or they're just rude. So what comes to mind? You know that whole love chapter? Love is not rude. <gasps> right? Do you see how the enemy will take scripture and use it against you? That's what he used on Jesus. Why wouldn't he use it on you? He used scripture against Jesus to tempt Jesus. Remember the Bible says this was a temptation. It was a temptation from the enemy. Okay? So, you have to know one of the feelings or the atmosphere changes to condemnation. The next thing is the atmosphere, it will progress to force. Another word for that will be control. Okay? Now, let's talk about the word control for a minute because that's another word that the enemy uses against the church. And you have to know the difference between control and God's standards. You have to know the difference because if you don't, you're going to get trapped. And that word that we talked about before, that's the number one way Satan will get you to have a famine is offense. If you don't understand love, you don't understand control, you're going to get into offense. There's no doubt on this planet about it. I have lived long enough in different countries to see it operate the exact same way. Okay? Everybody's got this? I'll erase this real quick. Okay? So let's talk about control versus a standard, okay? So control and standard. See, there are some places where if there is no standard, uh, we should have standards everywhere, period like about your own life and everything else, right? You should have a standard. When I was single and um, I was a young lady, I had a standard. There's no way any guy is getting anywhere close to 
you know where unless there's some unless we're married that was just my standard so it didn't matter where I found myself and with whom nothing was gonna happen I don't care how good-looking you are and how much chemistry we have nothing's happening honey because that was my standard so when I'm using that standard right if I didn't know better the whole what the women get caught up in today anyway what if you love me okay or that's just legalism that's just the church trying to control you so I would simply have to, anything I believed when I was growing up and people would throw to me well that you church people are so uh, legalistic and you're being controlled I would explain to them these aren't my church's beliefs these are my personal beliefs nobody's getting there unless they're married and it's just gonna be one man that's it so quit shopping it ain't happening the next thing is you can't make me lie for you or to you it's not happening I will tell the truth every time so if somebody comes to me and tells me something and says well you know if they ask you tell them this I say I don't lie so if you're telling me this and somebody comes and asks me guess what they'll get to hear what you just told me I'm not gonna figure out how to skirt around an issue so I could deceive somebody I it just doesn't happen that's my standard okay it's not the church standard it's my standard the church should have it as a standard but I'm not doing it because it's a church standard you understand you have to know why you're doing these things because then when here's the thing when the enemy comes to you we talked about it in the famine it's you're isolated there's nobody else there and you have to know what you believe and why Jesus was alone in the wilderness the angel wasn't in his ear going okay Jesus we have an answer God said in heaven tell him this no it's who Jesus was and what he truly believed do you understand this is where it counts it's who you are and what you truly believe you can't keep saying they're making me do it because I go to that church that's crazy that just tells the enemy that you are controllable you understand you're just doing these things because you're being controlled and then you're gonna get offended because then he's gonna say well you surely wouldn't die if you did it huh somebody else heard that line he will tell you what they're telling you to do is their thing and you know these days that's not how it is there's quite a few things I would never ever since as a child when when I went to school you know um, they would always have events school things your social whatever on holidays well it just so happened that our youth ministry of the entire church I was part of the whole denomination would have something too where do you think I'm gonna go hang out with a bunch of bunch of drunks or go hang out with people like me so when they would always ask how come you never participate in any class events it's like you're you know too good I said no your dates are too wrong I have other things going on well I can't believe your dad because my dad is a preacher I can't believe your dad makes you I said my dad don't make me do nothing I would rather spend time with these people than you <laughs> because when I socialize with you we have nothing in common I'm not gonna drink alcohol I'm not gonna swear I'm not gonna try to pick some guy up I just don't have any 
interest in any of that. This is me. It's not my dad. It's me. You see what I'm saying? So you, so when you train your children, they need to know what's them, not what you're telling them to do. You know what I'm saying? So, so when the enemy comes to you, you have to have standards because he's going to tell you to break them. And when you break them, you have just followed one of his instructions, which now gives him access to you to be able to tell you what to do. What are some other standards? So we have, um, what were the standards? No lying. Let's talk about some standards. Do you know condemnation should be a standard you have too? No condemnation. There's therefore now no condemnation. Right? So those who walk not after the flesh. You see the thing there. In order to obey Satan, you have to be walking in the flesh. Because your born-again spirit man would not have a, there's nothing in common. Your born-again spirit man wouldn't want to obey Satan. You understand? You would have to be following a fleshly desire. When did Satan show up to tempt Jesus? When he was hungry. Right? That's a fleshly need, isn't it? Jesus was hungry. His, we know his spirit man wasn't hungry. That's what he was getting fed. His flesh was hungry. Jesus was a man. He had flesh, right? Because the Bible said he was tempted in every way. So, when your flesh is being touched, when condemnation is through the flesh, then you know Satan is at work. When you walk according to the flesh, condemnation will come in. You understand? So you have to stop accepting condemnation on any level. I don't care what it is. You could be wrong as ever. But you know how to repent. It's not a foreign thought. To be a Christian, you have to repent. You already have experience in repenting. <laughs> Do you see? All right? No lying, no condemnation. What else? What are some standards? They're just Bible standards. Oh, I was telling the story about choosing to go with the youth group. The reason is, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together with people of like precious faith. You have to, otherwise, that's, you're just doing the one step for Satan. You know, you have to do it for, for you, the whole isolation thing. Telling me that TV is your church. Come on. Those people don't even know what your voice sounds like. You can call. That's great. It's great. You can call and get prayer, but that's all there is. There is no fellowship. The fellowship, do you know you can't say you're a Christian and walk the love walk if you can't handling, handle being around Christians? You are lying to yourself. The love walk is worked out around people. Okay. What was that thing? Oh, assembling yourselves. Okay. 
assembling yourself together. Alright. Wow, we did a lot. It's not even been... It's been like 35 minutes. Woo! Okay. <laughs> Those are some standards. What are some other standards? No adultery. Sexual purity. That's a standard. Right? Sexual purity. And it is not outdated. Excuse me. <laughs> you know, what else? I'm sorry? Oh. Yeah. Well, you know, in today's progressive society, the young people are being told, oh, that's old-fashioned, really. Only Satan would say that because he is so old. No compromise. So, this all cannot be compromised. Did you know that the Bible does not tell us anywhere to compromise, by the way, for all the marriage training that's out there that says you have to compromise with each other? That's a lie from hell, first of all. The Bible does not tell us to ever compromise. It tells us not to compromise. We are to walk in love. So when we do something and we tell somebody, yes, I, I, I'm okay with you doing that, it should be out of love, not out of compromise. Because you're just freely letting them do that. Because you choose to. You're not being compelled to. All right. That's a whole different subject. But look up the word compromise, like look it up on Gateway, and every verse, I did, I did this myself. There is no positive scripture. Every scripture on the word compromise says don't do it. People were tricked into it. It did not end well. Compromise did not end well. Think about it, you're in a compromising position. That's not a good position to be in, right? So, all right. Let's talk about control for a minute. So this is a standard, right? Oh, you know, let me just break it down for you. You should have a standard. Let's put it this way. So you can go home and build your own, you know, you can look at the word and develop a standard, right? So you should have a standard when it comes to love and people, okay? You should have a standard about morality Okay, you should have a standard about um, uh, relationship. Okay, like spiritual relationships too, and natural relationships. You should have a standard about your money. We didn't talk about that. But you should have a standard about your money because, listen, what was the thing that the Bible says? That you, a man, you can't serve two masters. It didn't say God and Satan, did it? No. It said God and money. I mean, that's the two masters God identified. <gasps> Could you believe that? So the way Satan is going to have you serve him is through your money. So you have to have an understanding of money in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, money multiplies, right? It's not measured in dollar amount. It's measured in percentages, right? 
And I'll give you an example of that. It's measured in percentages. Uh, every person, the Bible tells every person, no matter what your income level, that you're to tithe how much? 10% and offerings. People forget that part. They're like, well, I'm a tither, nothing happens. Well, you're missing the offering part. And I explain to people, the offering part really shows if you're greedy or not. Because if you're a rule follower, if you are a rule follower, you will do the 10% because you feel like you have to. But your generosity shows up in the offering part. Not the giving of alms, because that still makes you feel good that you gave to the poor. Not necessarily in the sowing and reaping offering, because you know you're getting something back out of it. It's in the giving of offering to the Lord that's passed through his church, his storehouse where you're being fed. Do you understand? So what does the end, isn't this the number one place Christians get offended? <gasps> that tells me money is their master. If you get offended with money, money has become your master. And so you're serving money. Even if you got a dime, it's still your master. Could you imagine having such a weak master as money? But that's what God said, two masters, God or mammon. You can't serve both. Okay? And I'll tell you why it's percentages too. You remember when Jesus watched what people were given in the temple? He actually stood there and commented. He made commentary on the offering. Could you imagine what would happen to a preacher if he did that today? Huh? It's bad enough when you have to like set the standard that people are supposed to tithe as a basic thing to participate. You understand what I'm saying? Imagine standing, you know, Doug and I, we have the offering thing there. We say, okay, everybody, let's get up and start giving your offering. And I'm going, Doug, I don't know. I don't see that person getting up at all. They must not make any money at all. Okay. And we're commenting, wow, that envelope is really tiny. We know they make more than that. That's what Jesus was doing money because he said to the disciples that, you know, they were awed by all the money the, people, the rich people were giving. And he recognized the woman the widow. And he said, of all the people, what they gave, she gave more. That's proof that God looks at the percentage, not at the amount. So if you're doing 11% giving, 1% is all, you, that's, your great, that's your gratefulness, um, you know, your generosity. Your generosity is 1% big. That's the truth of the matter. Your generosity is not 11% big. It's 1% big. I'm just saying. You know, Gabriel, our son, we're teaching him this concept of, you know, we've taught him. Well, his money is a little tight recently because he spent a lot of it to buy his drums and we're making him pay it back to himself. So what that means is his month, his uh, weekly allowance that he gets for doing work, he only gets $5 out of the whole thing. Well, $250 is tithe, plus he has to do offerings. And I watch him really not holding back on an offering either. 
which is really cool because you teach the principle, but you step back to see how does he apply it when it's not flowing, you know, when there's not, yeah. And he's doing it. And I'm thinking that is pretty good. You see what I'm saying? But that's when you build it. I'm not going to jump in and go, okay, Gabriel, God will understand. Listen to me. God always understands. The problem is what's your reason? He knows why you're doing what you're doing. Understanding why you're doing something is not the issue. God always understands. It doesn't mean what you're doing is right. He'll always understand. He doesn't lack understanding. So you have to remember, Satan's not going to come tell you to serve him. He knows he won't do it, never. But the way he, you serve him is through money. That's what God said. All right. Let's go th quickly through control. Oh, so, so we have here love and people, your moral life, your relationship and spiritual life, your spiritual relationship with God and your physical relationship with people, and your money as number four. These are the areas that you need to have a standard in that you don't break. Whatever your standard is, that's what you're going to pass on to the people you are responsible for training. So if you're not sure what your standard is, watch what your children are doing. Watch what your family, your grandchildren do that you have um, you know, influence over. It's a mirror. It's a mirror. All right. You know, I was telling Doug, my parents, you know, here they are, retirement age, whatever, and uh, they worked their whole life in ministry, tithing, giving, their whole life in ministry. They've never, um, you know, done the corporate thing and all this, and they have this big stash, but they lack nothing. Zero. Is it shiny? Oh, they lack nothing. And, uh, but God's taking care of them. You know what I'm saying? Like, how cool? I'm like, this is so cool. And God blesses what they put their hand to. But you know what it is? My, they're give, my mom is the most generous person I've ever met. Oh, my goodness. She is like, so she's telling me, Fiona, we get so much food, like cooked food from the restaurants around. Uh, for the kids that I have freezers full and they actually don't have a cook anymore. <laughs> well, no, they, 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 they had to, they didn't bring her back. They had a cook that they could use, but there's been no reason because they have food already cooked, like prepared. So which works out for her because she needs to be with some family. And you know, my parents are so hilarious. I think they still help her, you know, like, and then she can come every so often so they could pay her because they, they don't want to leave her without a job, you know. But it, it's win-win for both. She gets to be, it's an older lady too, so she's able to still function. But that when God blesses you, other people get blessed. You know what I'm saying? It's not just for you. But my mom, and she keeps telling, I said, Mom, but you are like the food lady. There's nobody that's ever come in your presence that, that lacked food. Like, you are constantly giving food. Of course it's going to constantly come back to you. Do you know what I'm saying? She's always giving food. Like, you can never be in her presence and not eat something. It doesn't matter where she is. She could be a guest somewhere. She'll find a way to get you food. <laughs> but so now the kids will never go hungry. because She told me, she said, Fiona, 
this, uh, my dad, I think, told me, but this um, store, the owner of a store came in the other day and was taking down how many bags of rice they use and whatever, whatever, sugar. You know, there's things that are um, consumable that you have to keep replacing, you know, the, and um, milk and bread and whatever, whatever. And they started supplying them with. And what she does is, it's so much they can't use it all by the time they get the next amount because then it'll get weebles or whatever she starts um so i said mom you know it's going to just send more back <laughs> it's a perpetual increase it's never going away she bags up food bags for all the pastors and all these people she knows all the orphanages that they know all the the, the um students at the university that come or whatever She's just, everybody comes, they with bags of food. But it's a perpetual thing. Money is not her God. You see what I'm saying? You have to get to that point where you're so generous that it takes faith in God to be that way. But if you're having a hard time letting go of what you have, your faith is in money. Where your faith is, that's who your God is hard to hear, I know. All right, let's talk about control. Do you see now when the enemy comes to you and says, when the church is telling you all the stuff, they're trying to control you, how that's a big fat lie? That is not the truth. What the church, what the church should tell you this stuff. And if they're not, something's wrong. Maybe money is their God too. You see what I'm saying? So, that's why when I ask people to give to someone, I'm not thinking of it as charity. I'm thinking the opportunity. There's a field that needs some seed. Do you want to plant? Here's your chance. We have somebody in our church that needs benevolent help. Plant some seed. You know, that's how I think of it when I present it. It's not like, poor person. Oh, they're going to die if they don't get your money. No. But we get the opportunity first. Why not take it? That's how I look at it. All right. So let's talk about control. So control is all about getting you to do what it wants you to do. So when you're, op when you're being um, controlled, you don't get an opportunity to do the action by faith. I don't know how else to explain it. Okay. Control involves no faith for actions. Instead, you start doing things out of fear. Okay? Okay? So so you start so if you start finding that you're making a decision to do something because you're afraid, it means somewhere, even if it's the right thing. So let's say you decide now after this big long speech about money. Oh, I don't want to be my God. So I better like, I'm going to give everything I have. Okay, that's not right either. You understand? You have to be led by the Holy Spirit. And when you're led by the Holy Spirit, that's when faith has been activated. So I always tell people, if you're going to tithe, you have to do it by faith. Every, to please God. If you think you're giving your tithe so you can please God, but you're not doing it by faith, you're not pleasing God. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. You understand? 
So the principles don't break away when we do the actions. You understand? So when now you're going to choose to give an offering, then just tithe. But you need to be led by the Holy Spirit, and you need to have faith when you do it. Or else it's just going to be a loss to you. Got it? But if, but there are some cases where people will cause you to do things because you're afraid if you don't do it, some negative consequence will occur. That's control. It's one thing to be given an option. And it's okay that the options have consequences or rewards, okay? But either way, you should be able to choose. When you're in a controlling environment, you don't get to make a choice. This is the way it's going to be and that's it. Does that make sense? Versus when you are, have a standard or you operate by a standard, you understand what I'm saying? Like in a marriage, if you develop a standard, you know, this is our standard, this is what we do as a family, whatever, you, you abide by it because it's a standard. If you find that it's always what the person says and you never get a word in edgewise, it's control. But maybe you don't have standards to begin with because you never thought of that. You know, it's not something you ever think of. They don't teach us in old school, right? Every, this new stuff. <laughs> so maybe you just need to sit down and develop a standard and develop one based, maybe start off with that list I just gave you so you can look at those areas of your life together and say this is how we would like Let's come up with it. Let's find scriptures to match it. Whatever. It has to have faith with it. But let's say you can't get your spouse on board with it because they're like, what are you talking about? This is crazy. You do it. You do it. When we go to heaven and we have to give an account for our life, nobody gets to stand with us. It's just us and God. And we give an account for us. We have to remember this. Satan wants you to not think that way. Okay. What else happens in control? For one thing, in control, you can't find, uh, like you know the Bible says, let's, uh, let's, um, that something be verified with, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses to confirm something? Okay. With control, like one or two scriptures will be taken out of context. That's big in control. Scriptures are taken out of context. And listen to this. This is key. No new revelation on a scripture is allowed. Okay, now, the only way you could believe this as a believer is to think that God is dead. You hear me? God's alive. His word is living. Remember Jesus rose from the dead? John 1, 1 tells us that Jesus became flesh. He is the word, right? So we have the word, which really represents Jesus. And Jesus is alive. 
God's word is alive. So every time you read it, you hear it talked about, you speak it out loud, you should have new revelation, deeper stuff. It's not going to totally change the meaning of the basic meaning of it, but it might totally change how you see it because you're seeing something deeper than you ever saw before. When you're in a controlling environment, no new revelation is allowed. This is what it said, and that's all it means. So what do you think the most misused and out of context scripture there is in the Bible against women? Wives, submit to your husbands. But listen, it's against wives, which is even worse. You know why? Because to be, to be a uh, producing, to have other humans be produced on the earth, God requires marriage. To be a wife, you need to be married. That's God's legal way, right? And the enemy doesn't want that. He doesn't want any more people to come on the earth. It's just more work for him, for one thing. And you remember, he doesn't like people. God's the one who loves people, not the enemy. So if he could mess with the producing womb of the earth, he's got it made for the whole generation of that womb-producing woman. Who does he mess with first in the family? Who did he mess with first in the garden? Ladies, don't be ignorant of the devices and the wiles of the enemy. He's after you first. If he can beat you up, you're going to beat up your husband and your children, whether you realize it or not, emotionally and verbally, that's what you're going to do. You know the saying, if mama ain't happy, whatever. So if he can mess with you to get your emotions off, into the flesh it changes your atmosphere to whose character remember we talked about atmospheres okay I'll just quickly go through what I have on this paper I don't know who needed that today but there's your lesson alright so we talked about control you know scriptures are twisted you have no way except that you're operating in fear. You know when you're under pressure. That's control. The other thing, though, is a person that you're responding to that way, they might not actually be trying to control you, but you feel that way because the enemy is speaking to your mind. Your mindset is set to be controlled. Does that make sense? So you automatically want to please people no matter if you think you should do it. It's just like you go into this frantic mode. You have been set to be controlled, and you got to break it right away. So you have to recognize if you have a mindset to be controlled. And the way you know that is you're always fearing do making decisions, doing things. It has nothing to do with the people, really. It, it is what they put in you at some point. you got to get it out of there, right? So the scriptures that we talked about earlier should help. And read my book, Fearless. Right there, that'll help. That book, Fearless, has helped so many people. I had a widow call me, and this woman probably hasn't read a book in years, and she's going on about this book, and I go, I had recommended to her the book of My Time in Heaven, and I had given her my book, 
as a gift. Well, I had no idea she was talking about my book because I felt that way about my time in heaven when I was reading it. I said, yeah, isn't it awesome? I said, I'm shocked that you got it so quickly. She goes, well, you gave it to me. I said, what book are you talking about? She said, your book. <laughs> I went, oh. I mean, she stayed up all night to read the book. She read the book in the night and the morning. A woman who never read. You know what I'm saying? So if you have to get that out of you, fear. All right. So to get, I'm not off topic. I just had to do the prep. Good enough. Let's talk about good enough. Okay, uh, I had 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Uh, I'll read it to you, and then you can write it in your notes, okay? The Amplified says, And God is able to make all grace, every favor and earthly blessing, come to you in abundance. Does that sound like a survivor word? Abundance. No. So that you may always and under all circumstances, in the wilderness, out of the wilderness, on top of the mountain, in the valley, all circumstances, and whatever the need be, self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. So what I want you to know is the enemy will come to you and tell you that the thing you have now is not good enough for you to move on with. If he can keep you staying where you are, you know how easy that makes his life? All his demons, they're shouting, thank you for the assignment to that person. They do nothing. It's great. We could party all day. But they do nothing. And we'll just keep going back and stoke the fire to tell them, you still need more stuff before you could do something. Because what you have Let's talk about some examples in the Bible. And uh, you write these down, then you can read them, right? But you know the stories. Matthew 14, from verse 14 to 17. Jesus taught all day. It's a whole group of people, 5,000 men, plus women and children. And then he said to the disciples, you need to feed them. And then what they say? Like, what's he thinking? Kidding me? Offense was about to step in. How dare him ask us to do this? Who does he think we are? But Philip found a kid who had something, five loaves and two fish. Did Jesus laugh at him? No. Jesus took it. Jesus took it from his hand. The boy gave it over to Jesus. Jesus took it. Jesus broke it and gave it to his disciples. And they took it and they fed the people in groups of 50. Had them sit down in groups of 50. There was an order. And 12 baskets were left over. Incidentally, how many disciples were there? Okay, there was a proof of a basket left over for each one of them. To see that you thought that wasn't good enough. Look at what just happened. The keys to this thing is what the boy had. A child had what they used. A little boy. We overlook the people that have what God wants to use for what we need. Oh, we have to be careful. I have a 
ten-year-old playing drums for worship. Do you know what I'm saying? We think that things have to be a certain way for it to work for God. Who gave you that idea? It wasn't from God. Because that's not what Jesus did. Jesus borrowed a boat to preach him. Do you remember? He asked the disciples if he could use the boat. He didn't have his own. Did Jesus have any equipment of his own? No. He borrowed. He took a donkey to ride into the biggest show. The biggest thing he was here to do. A borrowed donkey. Colt. He didn't even have to think. Money was never Jesus' God, ever. It had no hook in him. It never got to tell him no. Never got to tell him, you can't do what you want to do for people because you don't have enough money. Neither was time, by the way, because the disciples were discussing. And they said, even if we have enough money, there's not enough time. You remember? Because they were like, Who's, by the time we go into town and come back or whatever. So none of those things restricted Jesus. Okay. Then we have, let's see, what other story we have. Let me see if I give you all the points on this. The place was deserted and isolated, by the way. That if you read the story, they were by themselves. That's why they were concerned, because by the time they go into town, which is far away, to get food, even if they had enough money, it would still be too late. So that's how the enemy wants to, you to see what you have, it, even if you did anything with it. It's too late. You're too old for crying out loud. Who's going to listen to you now? Do you know what I'm saying? Or you're too young. It's not your time yet. You have to stay here and grow. Samuel wasn't too young when he heard from God when nobody else was, including the priest who was right there. David wasn't too young when he killed the giant that nobody else wanted to touch. He even touched the giant. Do you realize he touched the giant? He killed the giant and then he touched him because he cut his neck, head off with his own sword. All right. Jesus was working with less than 10% of what he needed. You realize that? What percentage did Jesus really have to work with compared to what he had to provide? It was like pennies on the dollar. But it still worked. Okay. And here's where I want to end. You know, another example, if you want to think of people in the Bible, 1 Samuel 17, 20, it was David when he was being put down by his eldest brother. Like, who do you think you are? And, and he judged his motive. His eldest brother judged his motive. You know, you're just doing this for show off. And he even said to him, who, who did you leave those little sheep with? He despised what David did. He despised David's training. Do you realize that's where David was trained? Do you realize that's where a lot of psalms were written? Everybody, Psalm 23. Where do you think David was when he wrote that? While his brother was shivering in front of a giant. <laughs> he was writing psalms to the Lord. Um, psalm 115, 14 to 18. I want you to read that. It talks about the Lord giving the earth to us. Psalm 115, verses 14 to 18. Okay, but here's where I want you to, to see. 
We talk about people who had a little bit and God made it much. But what do you think about the Garden of Eden? This is how we're going to end. What was missing from the Garden of Eden? What did they lack? They didn't like anything, did they? There, was, there were no deficits in the Garden of Eden. There were zero deficits. There was no debt. You know how people have, well, I have too much debt, I can't give, whatever. There was zero debt. There were no expenses, right? Did they have to like pay for lodging? There were no expenses. As a matter of fact, they didn't even have to work because really, technically, the Bible says that they're to take care of the plants, but the stuff was self-sustaining. Do you realize that? Like dew came up in the morning, did the water, the thing. Nothing died. It was full of life. So there weren't dead trees. They got to rake up, you know, the dead leaves. Oh, it's that season again. We got to rake up. There was no work. There was no toil. But what did Satan come in to try to tell them? That they lost it all. With a basic thought. It was a basic thought. Satan convinced the woman that what they had been given was not good enough. That God was still withholding from them. With everything he gave them, it was still not good enough. And that's how Satan wants you to see your life. He wants you to see your life that you're always missing something. Isn't that all he could point is you're missing the opportunity to eat that fruit? One tree. By the way, if you never heard it taught, because I've taught it before, that is a type and shadow of the tithe. The one tree in the garden is a, a type and shadow of the tithe. 90% is all yours. You can do with it whatever you want if you could just not take this And that's what the enemy came to convince her to take because not having that was just not good enough. Having 90% is not good enough. How dare God tell you you can't have that? Who is God? That's why God said, two masters, God or mammon. And in that day, in the Garden of Eden, in that day, the mammon would have been the thing, that the, the means of exchange, okay? If Adam and Eve would not have messed up, God was walking with them every day. Remember, he was walking with them every day. The thing that got revealed to them was the difference between good and evil and all that stuff. God was teaching them. Don't you think he would have told them that? But they took it. See, when Satan comes to you, he will never present an atmosphere where you can move on. Talking about atmospheres, right? Remember we talked about condemnation and force and control? But his atmosphere is no future with what you have. You just can't build a future with what you have. It's just not good enough. It's just not good enough. 
And what you need to tell him is, everything you say is a lie and you are a thief. I don't ever hesitate to tell a person who is operating by demons or they decided to work for the dark side, I have no problem telling them they're a thief and a liar because that's who they're working for. That's the nature they have. They're a thief and a liar. When I hear stories about people robbing people, I call them a thief and a liar. And I will tell them that to their face if they were to show up. Because that's who they are. They're, they've taken on the nature of their master. And we'll talk sometime about the love walk, but it's so perverted that you feel condemned if you call sin, sin. You know, I... A preacher on Facebook is doing this long lecture about stop saying the phrase God hates the sin and loves the sinner because he loves the person with everything they have and the blah be blah blah give me a break a, a speech to people who dare question these movies that are coming out that have Christian titles that how could you even question well of course we're to question things because we're supposed to judge things by their fruit right so when people are asking questions about the people producing it, it's a legitimate question. Let's ask, what is there to hide? You either find out what, what, you just find out the truth. It's no big deal. But when you're being persecuted for even asking, that tells me the person, ha it's terrible. They have a wrong concept of love. Listen, God is love, right? And who made hell? Who created hell? God, it sure won Satan. God designed hell for Satan and his group. But if somebody wants to reject God, there's a place for them to go. You should have places like that in your life. If somebody decides to reject you for who you are, who God made you to be and everything else, it's not wrong to have a place for them to go. You have to have these standards in your life. You can't just keep trying to make them fit in where everybody else qualified to be, but they refuse to qualify. They keep mocking your qualifications. Remember the Bible says, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. These are God's standards. Those are the standards you should have. I feel no remorse for having somebody this far away from me versus somebody else this close. I have standards because you have to qualify. If you mock, if you mock what I have set up as a standard, you're mocking me and you're mocking God in me. Why would I mix you in with everybody else and have one big love fest? I don't think so. It's not biblical. It's not how God works. The Bible says, God says, no sin can be in heaven. There's a concept. You see what I'm saying? So don't try to apologize for everybody else when they're sinning and mocking God. You, you don't. It, it, we all have a choice because then in another way, we're kind of trying to control them. We all have a choice. You pray mercy for them. You can pray for them. God will have mercy. Please don't let them die, Father. Do whatever you got to do. I'm asking heaven to invade earth and protect them. 
so they can hear the gospel and choose life. Those are what, that's what you do. Because nobody should go to hell. But you still have to put your standards in place. All right? We'll end it there.